Cool. You're in, Emily. You good to go? Hello. Oh, yeah, you can hear me. Um, I can't join on my computer for some reason. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's like that in the browser. Don't um, don't worry about it. Unfortunately, that's just the way Podbean works. It's stupid, I know. <laughs> okay, so I can only join on my phone. I just don't have headphones, so I hope the sound's okay. It's all right so far. Okay, that's fine. Thank you. All right. Um, you might have to send it to. Oh, sorry. You might have to send it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, playing your intro in five, four, three, two, one. Live from London, this is the Late Show with Emily Follow Run Show on Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. The time is now 8 p.m. on Monday the 17th. What's 17th of May? I wish it was. No, on Monday the 28th of February. And you're listening to me, Emmy Fulmanich, on The Late Show. Um, in today's show, I'll be joined by Harry Fletch Wood. And we, we, we will be discussing habits of um, success as well as other teaching and learning aspects. Live from London. This is The Late Show with Emily Follow Run Show on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome back. Um, you're listening to Emily Fuller Rinch Show on, to, on tonight's Late Show. So, as always, please share the show, interact with us by the chat, or feel free to call in at any time. Um, so, today I have a very, very special guest. Um, I've been following him since I've actually joined Twitter, and I'm really excited to, for him to be on the show because he is a, well, was a fellow history teacher. And um, I've literally watched him from being a teacher and progressing his career. And he's so knowledgeable. So please, everyone, welcome Harry Fletcher Wood. Good evening, Harry. Hi, Emily. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Thank you. Amazing. That's, that was the most biggest thing I was worried about, to be honest. Um, <laughs> although I now have to regain my uh, credentials. So, you know, once a history teacher, always a history teacher, deep inside. So, uh, <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's uh, true. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, no problem. So if you could just um, introduce yourself or those that have not, you know, um, heard about you or those that are not familiar with your career journey, if you could just give us insight in terms of your career journey, how long you've been te- um, how long you were teaching and what you're doing now. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about you, but there's always one or two. Always one or two. Yeah. Uh, so um, I taught uh, abroad for a couple of years. So I taught in Japan and then oh, wow. in India. Um, and then uh, trained formally as a, as a history teacher and spent uh, seven or eight years in London teaching in a couple of different schools. And then uh, I was asked to lead professional development in the second of those schools and became wow. just really interested in what we were asking teachers to do, why we were asking teachers to do it. Uh, and so I spent a couple of years as a researcher and then six, seven, eight years looking at professional development both leading it designing it training people to to lead it and researching it and mm-hmm. I've just I mean I'm still doing that sort of some of the time and working with individual schools but the main thing I'm now doing is working with teacher tap trying to help school leaders find out more about what their teachers are really thinking and 
kind of what that means for them, which is uh, it's cool because it's it's sort of it builds on some of the stuff that I've worked on before. But it's also quite different, and I have to think about how to like make technology work, which otherwise I would not really ever have been involved with. Well, that sounds really exciting. Your journey is there. Would you looking back? Is there um, an element you enjoyed the most? Is there an element? You know, like different things work well at, at different times. I was just thinking the other day about um, I spent two years uh, with responsibility for for UCAS applications. Oh wow! And it was an yeah. absolutely mad phase of my life because I was given uh, uh, I didn't have a form and I had a very slightly reduced timetable and so for sort of three quarters of the, the year I actually had quite a quite a light easy time because I was teaching yeah. less than everyone else and then in October November December my life went absolutely upside down and I would sort of I'd teach all my lessons and then I'd have students with me every day from 3 30 until we got kicked off the school premises at like seven or whatever and I'd then go home eat something go to sleep wake up the next morning and, and do the same thing we do that until we had like 90 students um uh UCAS applications in yeah uh and you know so so some aspects of that, like I couldn't do I've got, I've got a three-year-old I couldn't do that now yeah um, and it, in many ways it wasn't that that fun at the time because it was it was absolutely exhausting mm-hmm. it was also really cool because it was like kids you know this was kids working out what they wanted to do with their lives and presenting themselves in their best, the best light. Uh, and that was just, that was just really fun. So I'd say like, you know, each, each phase had its strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and there aren't many phases that I would necessarily jump back to, but, but they all had their merits at the time. Mm, that sounds really yeah, interesting and very, it sounds like hard work as well. So, um, and you're right in terms of stating that you wouldn't be able to do that now, now that you've got, um, a child it's easier when you um you're single and you haven't got other responsibilities we can contribute uh-huh. on um teaching so every kind of season in our lives brings its own challenges or its own prudence i say um so in terms of habits of um success so this came out in august last year um and you know just to read a bit, a bit about it. So it's for students to benefit from lessons. Um, they must attend <coughs> and try their best. But at times, almost all teachers struggle to manage classroom behaviour and to motivate students to learn. Um, drawing on decades of research on behavioural science, um, Harry's book offers teachers practical strategies to get students learning. The key is student habits. This book reveals simply yet powerful ways to help students build habits of success and I think for me as well it's not just even for students it's for <coughs> teachers that you are leading within a department I think that's quite useful as well um, but anyway so Harry Fletcher Wood shows how teachers can use behavioral science techniques to increase motivation and improve behavior so our guest last week actually mentioned you in terms of um, using psychology in, t- in terms of education and he mentioned your book interestingly enough and also in Harry's book he offers clear guidance on topics such as using role models to motivate students making detailed plans to help students and building habits to ensure students keep going so my first question in regards to your book is why did you write it um so I guess there were a few few things of that firstly because the, the point that you started off there, this thing that, you know, it is hard to get students to learn and it's hard to, to, to motivate or manage or whatever word you want to use 
30 different students with you know their own hopes dreams wishes desires fears whatever and trying to get them simultaneously to to do what what is going to be most beneficial for them in order to get across the past tense or the cause of the first world war or whatever it is 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 really tough um and you know it, it was tough for me but it's it's tough for everyone in different ways and at different times and i felt that we'd spent how many years i don't know somewhere between five and ten years depending on how early we all jumped on the bandwagon um doing cognitive science and saying well actually we're not just going to sort of wave things at students and hope they learn we're going to think really hard about how we design our questions and how we plan our resources and so on and so on um and that probably the, the the way we approach encouraging students to learn probably just deserves the same sort of scientific approach uh, and that actually a lot of what you get is kind of a combination of tips and tricks. Uh, yeah, just sort of going, you know, go and see, you know, I was struggling with behavior. It's like, go and see so-and-so, go and see so-and-so, go and watch what they do. And each person was sort of solving things in their own way. And there's always going to be room for, for that. You can learn a lot from seeing, seeing fellow teachers and, and what they do well. But there's also so much, you know, that the people whose job literally they're you know they're researchers and they spend their entire lives working out you know what's what motivates people what what encourages them what gets them to stop doing things and we should be benefiting from that as well so that that was the, the pretext for the book was you know let's let's stick those two things together and and try and provide a guide that's going to help teachers to to tackle some of these challenges a little bit more easily Thank you, Harry. Um, I guess you touched on the next aspect I was going to ask in terms of how you expect um, teachers to use it. So, um, yeah, I, I when I read um, aspects of your book, I saw myself using it as a form tutor. I don't know if you had any other ideas in which you would like teachers to use your book. Um, so I think it can, I hope... It, I mean, fundamentally, it's about how you help people to make changes. And I've used it in my parenting. Uh, and the techniques in it would work really for, for, for whoever you have to work with. Um, so whether you're a form tutor, whether you're thinking about how you can get your year 11s to do their revision, whether you're thinking about how you can help your year 7s to set themselves up well for the school year when they when they arrive whether you're thinking about how to um uh I mean, a week or two ago i was talking to um the attendance team at a school and thinking well okay how can we help students who aren't in the habit of coming to school change those habits and attend more frequently so i think you know like the the the, the stuff that it uh suggests can work i think for for anyone in any any role within a school and i've tried to give examples to to show that Oh, that's really um a good point. And I like the um you know, the example you gave in terms of attendance officers could also use that to mitigate, you know, poor attendance in school. So I really like that. Because in my head I was just thinking, um, you know, teachers or as a form tutor and so on. Um, so one of your chapters is centered on um what we should ask students to change. So my question to you is what should we ask students to change? Yeah, so the the biggest idea here is that, and probably the biggest idea in the whole book, is like change is just really hard. Um, and it's very easy to think, oh, you know, I'm going to become a, a healthier person. I'm going to become a fitter person. I'm going to become a better person. And it's much harder to, to um, 
then act on that and act on that consistently so it sticks. And so I talk about various different options, uh, but but what I come down to saying is, look, if you want something to stick, you need to do a couple of things. One is just to break it down and make it as small as possible. Uh, and so instead of saying to a student, you know, you need to change your attitude and change this and change that, like, what's the one thing that they can change now that's going to help them, that's going to be the, the biggest step in the right direction? Because actually, if it's a small step, it looks doable, they can do it, and then you can enter, hopefully, a virtuous cycle uh, and get, you know, work on them to, to make the next change. Um, but the other argument I make is like, look, a one-off a one-off one change, you know, it's not a welcome, but it doesn't really solve our issues. So if I get a student to do their homework once or answer the question once, I've, you know, it's nice to know that it's possible. That's something I can go back to with them. But what I really need them to do if they're going to succeed is consistently answer the question, consistently do their homework, consistently be nice to their peers. Um, and so what we need to do is, is help students build habits, habits of success. Um, and I talk, talk, talk about a few criteria for that, but fundamentally it comes down to, it needs to be small enough to stick, but big enough to be meaningful. Um, and so, you know, writing the date and title is, is all very well and good, but fundamentally, it's not going to make a huge difference to students' future success. Um, whereas, you know, writing perfect notes and revising them whenever you get the opportunity is is big and very useful, but maybe hard to, to make stick. So a middle ground there, you, know, you might say, OK, whenever you get on the bus in the morning, we do 10 minutes and re revise whatever you did in the first lesson yesterday. And that's, that's small, it's doable, but actually if a student does that consistently for 190 days of the year, that's going to make quite a big difference to what they know and understand. Thank you, Harry. That's really useful. And I like um, the example of the bus. I always tell students, you know, maybe listen to a podcast on the bus or, um, you know, revise their flashcards on the bus, but I don't think most of them do. So that's useful to in terms of how to use your books in order for them to build those successful revision habits as well. Um, and in terms of homework, um, you touched on homework. Um, so how would you ask students to kind of, because you said something along the lines of making the change small, but yet kind of impactful. So in terms, if a student's not doing their homework, um, could you give us an example of how to change that habit so that they can um, do homework? Um, yeah, well, there's there's a, a few different elements uh, to, to think about. So one is, I mean, I, I sort of, I discourage focusing on motivation overall because I think we spend more time thinking about motivation, not enough time about habits. But I do think thinking, you know, like, do students get the why of why they're doing it? And I think there's a couple of couple of things that are worth thinking. So sure, we tell them the why, like this will be really useful, fine. Okay, it'll be really useful, but it's not more fun than hanging out with my friends or playing on PlayStation or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So giving them an immediate reason, like not just this will be useful in the exam, but like this is going to come up in the lesson tomorrow uh, mm -hmm. and you're going to be much more on top of things if you, if you know, um, uh, if, if you've done it. Yeah. And then the other thing that, that is a really big sort of uh, motivator that, that I think there's always room to do more of is, is social motivation. Yeah. So I think like what are the role models? What are the social norms that you can point to? Like actually, you know, everyone's showing off how little they're doing, but three quarters of you got homework in on time. Uh, you know, let's, let's, mm -hmm. let's be part of that group. Yeah. Um, then I think there's something around um, 
planning and committing. So, uh, you know, we've all we've all got good intentions. Uh, well, almost yeah. all of us, almost all of the time. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's like, okay, how come, go back to those examples I started off with, like how come, you know, you've got this good intention, you said you're going to eat healthier, why are you sitting there eating, you know, steak with melted cheese on it or whatever it yeah. is? Um, and so... So planning and committing in advance to what we're going to do, and I think yeah. it's particularly powerful for homework because we, by definition, can't be there when it's meant to be done. Uh, and so getting students, don't just say you'll do it over the weekend, like pick a time, when's it going to be? Yeah. Um, work out where you're going to do it. Work out stuff that might go wrong. Like, you know, your sibling comes in and says, can, we, can you come and do X, Y, and Z? What are you going to say to them? And involve other people, you know, like get out your phone, text your parents right now, tell them what time you're, you're going to be doing the homework. Because yeah. um, one of the quite interesting findings about um, parental involvement in schools is that almost all parents want to help their kids succeed in school. But yeah. Particularly the older they get, the harder it is for a parent to do that because, yeah. you know, they don't necessarily know A-level maths or whatever it is. Um, but actually, if the parent has this concrete, like, you know, I'm meant to be spending half an hour learning my verbs or whatever it is, they may not be able to test them on the verbs if their French isn't up to scratch, but they can say, you know, how long were you doing that? Or they can pop in and see how long students are doing that for. Uh, and then thinking about forming it into a into a habit. So, you know, what what is going to keep students doing it? Is there some kind of reward, intrinsic or extrinsic? Uh, and accepting that it's not going to stick first time. We're going to have to revisit each of those stages again and again. So that's that's kind of like by saying that as kind of an overview of the model of, of the book. Uh, but homework is quite a nice example to, to give that for. Thank you so much, Harry. There's so much nuggets that you've shared that is just so very, very useful as well, especially involving parents. So if a student's making a plan, they said that actually that they're going to um do homework at this time. And you also, if I remember correctly, in your book, you also make them write down the location as well, um, in which they're going to do it. Um, so it's quite detailed, um, just to make them a more accountable involving parents massively help so that's a good one thank you harry um so my next question is how can we convince students to learn so my biggest challenge at the moment i, I won't really say that my behavior management is in great need but i do struggle to motivate um you know my white working class boys a lot um we don't have too many in our school because um it's my yeah my school don't have too many white working class boys but um I do find it quite challenging because they aren't motivated um so do you have any tips in trying to convince students um to learn like the sort of students that I have as well and yeah it is a sure challenge not. across the country thanks Joe. yeah um so, so yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, the, 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 the first thing to say is just come back to this thing of, you know, the, the aim isn't motivation. The aim is just for students to, you know, do their work know, in the nicest possible yeah. way. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've, I, there, there are lots of things that, 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 um, that might help. Uh, and I'll throw out, throw out a few ideas in a second, but just, you know, like they're just holding in mind that like the goal is just, okay, sit down and let's, let's, get this task done and sometimes just thinking about other things like you know can i make the task any clearer uh can i make the environment any sort of more supportive or stroke quieter uh that kind of thing ca can yeah. help as well um once you've done done as much as, as that as you can do i think there are a few ways to think about it so one 
potential issues say look you know students just just don't see the, the purpose or the value in what they're doing yeah. uh, and you know you and I as history teachers have you know I'm not interested in dead people or like you know I'm only interested in the future and this kind of uh, these heinous statements uh, that that students quite happily make yeah. um, and and so one uh, one way to think about this is to say like you know is there a way we can show that it matters better uh, and an idea that I, I think it's quite interesting that I took from well by Craig Barton but from Dan Meyer who's a, a maths teacher in the States yeah it was about the idea of uh highlighting the problem so we sort of dive in with a, a solution saying like here's a thing and you should be really interested in it but posing a problem uh and and getting students to care about that problem it doesn't have to be like a you know maths teacher example you know you've got 14 this in the shop and you know you need to have 12 and what's the ratio and this that and the other and um, he says look you know just just give students the the sort of the math that they've currently got and then say how do we solve x and then show them that you've got some new methods he has a really nice example to say i'm going to get the numbers wrong it's like okay get the students to to shade in 17 out of 34 segments on mm-hmm. a on a, a, a circle and then say well look you know actually if we simplify this fraction to a half be a lot quicker to to do our shading in uh and so you know in the same way potentially in history well i guess we do this quite often but setting up you know like okay here's the situation what do you think is going to happen next yeah guarantee like 90 percent of the time students won't know what's happened next so there's this there's something in that uh there's also something along the lines of uh making things personally interesting this is particularly something to do yeah. after they've done a bit of work like what about that was really interesting to you what about that would you like to tell your family that you've done really well on Mm, then we've got this idea and i mentioned this this earlier of of sort of immediacy and i think it's one of the biggest challenges in education because you are asking people to do work now in order to get a future reward uh whereas actually whether that's you know success high grades good job whatever it is you, you think you're doing education for um whereas actually almost everything that we do in life is like you know it's buy now pay later enjoy now yeah. pay, the, pay the consequences later yeah. so any way that we can make it say that again sorry oh i was saying klana the klana yeah now. exactly yeah. yeah right um yeah and you know there's a reason why those services are, are increasingly popular um so so the question is are the ways that we can make a task a little bit smaller and the benefits come a little bit sooner so potentially instead of saying look here's 20 questions you've got to answer them all like right here's two questions not too much let's let's answer those you know right you've answered two let's do another two but you can sort of take away the the um the feeling like it's going to be a a massive task and after the first two like hey look you've got it that's great let's do another two and and build on that Mm. um and then yeah just these two things of, of role models we talk quite a lot about role models in schools but i think we spend perhaps more time worrying about celebrity role models but actually a lot of the evidence is kids don't care i mean they're interested in celebrities but if you ask them who their role model is pretty consistently they say uh at least until they're, they're mid-teens they point to family members oh, yeah. um, uh, but 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 sort of floating uh floating potential role models in front of them and you know like if you've got a year nine class you're struggling with just grab one of year year 11s or year 12s drag them in and just say you know like what have you done that's helped mm. you to see see how's that made you feel now that you're working really consistently because you know we see a lot of students have a sort of they have a wasted period in their in their lives in their school career and then at some point they're like oh i'm gonna work really hard 
and I really want to do this. And you're yeah. like, if only we could do that sooner. So actually, I mean, there's a student who, um, uh, just Ryan, uh, won't, won't give his full name for obvious reasons, but uh, was a nightmare in my first history class. Yeah. Uh, just didn't, we'll didn't try right. that hard. Yeah. And, then, and then really turned it right the following year and became someone who I would point to and say, like, you know, this, this is an exemplary student. Mm-hmm. And so wow. getting students in, you know, like it's all very well us saying you need to turn it around, but hearing from someone who sort of, you know, looks and sounds just like them. You know, I was sitting at that desk last year and I didn't try very hard. And then I started trying and I started doing better in the homeworks and, you know, I really enjoyed it more and da 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 Potentially really powerful. And then, yeah, there's just this idea of social norms. So, so just saying, look, you know, most people are doing it or if most people aren't doing it yet, uh, there's progress. Increasing numbers of students are doing it. These are really um, interesting tips that you've given, especially what you show me is that is that students actually can change. As you know, when you dread a lesson or you dread, dread a certain student, like I have done and still do, um, yeah, yeah. we become fixated in, in terms of oh, they're always going to be like that. Um, but we don't really necessarily think about okay, how can I with them over or you know without them knowing too much change their habits so you've given some good nuggets there that i can implement with my dreaded year nines um <laughs> so um joe in the chat has said that as a music teacher he sometimes faces um he sometimes faces that problem when you do a style of music that's not their thing um and it's same uh. with history as well like there's certain topics that are just not uh-huh. their thing like for example elizabeth students are like but at least when we're moving on to the next topic elizabeth's in their words quote-unquote dry um <laughs> so um it's that's always so what the tips that you've given is really useful in terms of kind of showing them um the reason why that <laughs> as well um and in terms of role models when you're talk, talking about role models um joe said sometimes um, their teachers so he's meaning that sometimes um they see their teachers as role models as well so i think that's yeah yeah definitely definitely can do that music point is is a really really interesting one i guess the the thing that might be worth thinking about is is you know what students students live in this sort of a historical present and they think everything's brand new mm. uh, and and so being i'm sure joe's thought of this but 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 like being able to show them how so many great musicians build on um the work and the rhythms of uh other times other cultures and so on um and pointing to i mean yeah like you know st- students probably don't think musicians from the the so, well i'll give you one example example because i really love um west african music particularly yeah. senegalese and uh malian music uh and uh justin adams who played for i can't remember some was it led zeppelin was it anyway like played for some you know very big band and then spent like now spends all his time um just playing with like musicians from from other cultures so i saw him recently playing with uh, a moroccan guy and at the same time he's just releasing uh, an album with a traditional italian musician oh, wow. so showing students that like you know you 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 like you know rap whatever it is rock um yeah. but like rap and rock are not things that are in isolation they draw on these these huge rich heritages from and and like you know if if you are interested in understanding that or maybe performing it it behoves you to, to to learn something about it i think 
that's really interesting. So it's about making it relevant to the lives of students and showing them how it can it interplays with our present as present as well. And yeah, I yeah, think, and yeah. I, I I think the sorry. Oh no, no, carry on. I carry. think the, the 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 place where we 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 can go adrift, and I've definitely gone adrift, is trying to make everything relevant. And I would yeah. be like, oh, you know, I'm going to change the whole curriculum for it. And it's like it's it's teaching the stuff that we think really matters or that the government say really matters or the exam board whoever it is but doing it in such a way that we show that um that that, that it links to what they care about so for example we we had a unit about um empire um, yeah. but i start i used to teach uh, i was teaching north london and taught uh, about 30 percent of my students came from uh, the two halves of cyprus and yeah. cyprus is a really interesting case study for empire because it was uh, governed by six different empires throughout its history. Wow. So I'm like, well, okay, let's like do a thing about Cyprus. We had a little two lesson sequence looking at like, well, the Romans were here, the Byzantines were here, the British were here, the French were there. Da, 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 da. Um, and so, you know, we were still like doing all the stuff we were trying to do about empire, but we were able to do it in a way that was uh, just, yeah, like a little bit more relevant and, and uh potentially interesting for them yeah yeah i really like that that's really interesting thank you and joe said that um he always tries to say to people that in his subject you're not always going to which is music that you're not always going to see instant results or see a gradual improvement in their uh-huh. in the long haul um and he said yes that he's done that in terms of making um showing links between different genres um, for our other listeners, if you do have a question or any comments, feel free to use the chat with him. But now we're just going to um, have a short break and listen to the latest educational news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-Levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion. 
for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is facing demands to drop her £300,000 scheme to cut the bottom off doors, aimed at improving ventilation to combat COVID-19. Asbestos experts have warned that the plan could expose pupils and teachers to deadly dust. A 2019 report revealed that about 1,600 Scottish schools still have asbestos fixtures and fittings, including fire doors. Asbestos was banned in 1999. Director of Action on Asbestos, Phyllis Craig, said, Asbestos can be found within doors and in different areas in schools, and I would sincerely hope that this is taken into consideration before any work is carried out. Schools are required to have had a survey to identify the presence of any asbestos, hold a register of the whereabouts of any asbestos and have a plan to manage asbestos. My question is, does the Scottish Government know if schools meet these requirements before any work is carried out? If not, I'd be concerned asbestos may be disturbed during the process of cutting the doors. Asbestos exposure can have health consequences decades after exposure and this needs to be recognised and treated with the seriousness that it merits. After safety concerns were raised, Education Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville appeared to back away from plans, but they have not officially been dropped. A Scottish Government spokesman appeared to pass responsibility on to the local authorities, saying, There is no such plan. It is for local authorities to decide what measures they take to improve ventilation in schools. In Northern Ireland, legal action has forced education chiefs into a U-turn and a return to rules which were in place last autumn which allowed any teacher who qualified in the South to immediately register with the General Teaching Council for Northern Ireland. Kirsty McGrath, who graduated in Dublin last summer, took action after rules were changed, and Michelle McElveen class teachers from the Republic of Ireland as rest of the world, resulting in a lengthy wait. Miss McGrath, through her solicitors, wrote to the Department of Education, outlining their intention to seek a judicial review and as a result was added to the Northern Ireland Teacher Register last week. Patrick Higgins, solicitor, 
welcomed the decision, saying, The failure of the Department of Education to process Ms McGrath's application is unlawful and unreasonable. With a teacher shortage in Northern Ireland, this continued delay is impacting pupils, schools and teachers. Although it was named in legal papers, the Department of Education has denied it or Minister McElveen has any role on determining who can be a teacher in Northern Ireland. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. And welcome back. So I've been discussing. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm addressing a problem quite a few teachers have, the dreaded lock screen in the middle of a lesson. We've all experienced it when you're displaying something and the computer decides you're inactive and goes to sleep. I notice this most if you're using digital ink instead of a whiteboard. Well, I may have a way to stop this happening to you. However, it will depend on your school's network settings. You might not be allowed to change the options I'm about to discuss. A quick workaround for this is to see if your display has a freeze button. This will hold whatever's being shown until you unfreeze. Lock screen happens because your computer is trying to save power and also to keep you safe by locking after a specified time of inactivity. If you're going AFK and leaving your computer unattended, press Windows and L. This will lock your machine. Even if this next tip isn't working for you, this will. Never leave your computer unattended and logged in. Windows and L is a good habit to start. Now you can lock your machine at will, you're ready to change the settings to keep it on. We need to go to the display settings. A quick way is to right click on the desktop and select it from the menu. Now select power and sleep. As you're probably always plugged in when teaching, set the two drop down menus under the heading screen and sleep to never when plugged in. Now your screen won't switch off and the machine won't go to sleep to save power when you're plugged in. Remember you will need to manually lock the computer if walking away. For this week's visual version, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, so welcome back. I've been discussing um, habits of success with Harry Fletcher Wood and it's been insightful. We've been discussing um, what we should ask students to change, how can we convince students to learn. And now my next question is, how can we encourage students to commit to action? There's one thing, you know, um, identifying what needs to change, but how can we therefore get students actually to commit that to action? Cool, yeah. So so a couple of things I think we think about. One is when we ask. Uh, and so, you know, like ordinarily you just ask for a thing when you need the thing to be done. Uh, but if you're ask, asking students to um, make a new commitment to, to change change direction in some way, it's worth thinking, like, is there a breaking routine or is there some kind of landmark coming up? So, for example, people are, well, we, we know, people are much more likely to make New Year's resolutions at a new year. They're also more likely to make changes uh, just around the time of their birthday, even at the start of the month, start of the week. Yeah. So if you are in a privileged situation, like you're uh, an English teacher and you're seeing your student, well, you may or may not feel privileged, but if you're saying, seeing the same group five days a week, you know, start rolling out a new thing on a Monday makes more sense than rolling out on a Thursday when you're all yeah, sort of, you know, making your way towards the end of the week. Yeah. Um, and then I think more powerfully, it's it's this, and we've talked a little bit about this with, with the homework idea, like 
planning out the details. So not just say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Definitely, I'll do it. Like, okay, when are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? What are you going to need? Who's going to be there? Who are you going to commit to? And then just setting yourself a reminder or a deadline, like something mm-hmm. that's going to make that action um, more likely. Because, again, we've all, we've all done it. Uh, we've been asked to do things it's only when that reminder comes you're like oh yeah no that was a thing that I was meant to have done by now Uh, and these are just all like little things and if you just think about like any of your interactions with like companies or friends or whatever it is like all all the emails you get from companies do this do that what kind of things get you to do things it's things like deadlines it's reminders it's you saying I'll do it by do it by then and it's just uh applying the same things to our students that's such a good point um in terms of setting those reminders and also ensuring that the little detail is planned out such as when and also where and i guess that ties into my next question is how can we encourage students to start because i remember when i was in school um when it came to revision I just was really bad at starting and then when I got into the when I did eventually start and I got into the kind of flow of things I'm just like why didn't I start earlier um and I know uh, that's the case for most people so how can we encourage students to start so they do have a sufficient amount of time to revise uh yes tricky um <laughs> I guess the three three things that particularly stand out is like could be that students don't know how to start Uh, so you know they like want to do this thing but I just I've got no idea where to get started and this is this this idea of sort of just really clear instructions and models um, which comes through cognitive science comes through just plain common sense but also potentially defaults so sometimes students just get like stuck you know I don't don't know where to start doing this one or that one and that's that can be quite debilitating as well so just saying well okay you know if, if in doubt, do X. If in doubt, start on question three. If in doubt, start by revising this topic. Yeah. Um, uh, if in doubt, I start by revising this topic in this way. You know, make a mind yeah, map of yeah. the, the key concepts. And, and you know, like if, if a student's like a revision whiz and they're like, well, I desperately want to do it this way. Fine, that's absolutely fine. The yeah. point of default isn't to imprison you in your choices. It's to help people who are struggling to, to choose. So good. Then there's a piece around confidence. And I think it's like, just just essentially making making that step seem smaller yeah so instead of saying we've talked about instead of saying 20 questions just two questions also like starting by saying look this is the the first task is actually the same one you did yesterday so don't tell me you can't do it because i I watched you all do it do it uh and yeah making the first step now i've got some really interesting comments right blog asking about this i've got Mm. some really interesting comments from teachers who've you know we've all struggled with this um and and one one example was this comment that like well if students won't put pen to paper what do you do and the, the, the answer was just get them to to write nonsense literally just like wow. your pen must be moving across the the, the paper and yeah. clearly there's, there's like loads of ways that could go wrong but actually if students won't pick up a pen say look you cannot be wrong as long as you are putting letters words on here and then once they're used to that like, okay now let's try, you know, the words that we're actually looking for in this situation. But anything that brings down that that barrier. Um, and then finally, it's just, just practice. Uh, so before asking students to work independently, just practicing things with them so they, they know what they're doing when they come to, to work independently. So to come back to revision, you know, I think quite often it's like, go home and revise this. And actually saying, well, we, we, I'm going to take 15 minutes out of my lesson, which is a hit. 
but I'm mm -hmm. going to take 15 minutes to show you exactly a really productive way to revise. Mm -hmm. This is what I want you to do. And actually, if that gets students to do 15 minutes independent study a week for a year, that hit yeah. in the lesson is going to be so worthwhile. Mm. Uh, so that's really good advice. And I remember reading, I'm not sure if it's from your book or another book, because I read so much, I get things mixed up sometimes. Um, so I saw, like, for example, in terms of getting people to start or getting students to start, like having things set up on the desk. So that way it's just kind of easy, right. like making an easy start. I don't know if you've got any yes. light on that. Well, so the, this was in it. Someone got in touch with me and she said, look, I've got these students who are in year four. And I've got three students who really st struggle to decode. Yeah. Uh, and among other things, they won't ask for a phonics map to decode. But as a result, they can't spell. And so, you know, everything is, is difficult. Uh, and one of the things that I said was just, you know, really simple. But it's like, just put a phonics set of that between every two students. Like, it doesn't matter if they're year four and they should know it already. If they don't know it, just put the phonics map there. And so that is another way of changing the defaults. And so again, yeah. if you think of like, if you think you've say you've got a set of help sheets uh, that you want students, you're trying to get them to write an essay or something, uh, and you've got a set of help sheets that you put together. Like, not every student needs that help sheet, and some will write a worse yeah. essay if they have it in front of them. And so, in that sense, the default yeah. is individual. It's saying, well, you know, so and so is going to struggle. They're not going to ask for help, so I'm just going to like put it down quietly. You know, have a look at this. If you get stuck, so and so is kind of sort of overly dependent and I'm not going to yeah. give, I'm just like not, not even going to tell them how she exists. Uh, and, and yeah, so, you know, defaults can be very individual, but again, it's a way of nudging students into the right, into the right thing. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. And um, once, you know, students do start, how can we encourage them to keep on going? Because for me personally, when I start, and I get into the flow of things, it's very hard for me to some people they start and then they could get they can get a bit discouraged. So how is to continue? Yeah, definitely. So few few bits of this. Um part of it is is just just showing that it, it matters and yeah. part of that is, is being on top of things. So making sure that we know how much they're doing, giving a bit of feedback. Um, and also rewards, uh, and I'd say that this, well, so part of it is helping students see the intrinsic rewards. So look yeah. back, actually pause, what have you done really well? Uh, and that, that can be even, you know, an example, I think I took from Emma McRae, was to say, well, if, if let's say you've got a mathematical problem, and there's several lines of working, and then you get to the answer. Now, one way of marking that, or one way of talking to a student about it, is like the answer is right or wrong that's fine yeah. uh, but another way is to work through the lines of working so look you've got this bit right you've got this bit right you've only got to fix this bit and then 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 you can do it so in that sense you're giving them like three points out of a possible four run zero out of a possible one and you're showing like stuff stuff is working yeah. tied to that then there's there's extrinsic rewards which i yeah. have always been dead set against and detest but then i like read loads of the evidence and i was like well just can't test them too much, can I? Because they seem to work. People keep yeah. doing things when they're rewarded for doing them. Okay. Uh, and it doesn't really matter, seem to matter hugely what the reward is. Like anything that students want could be a fluffy pen with a fluffy bit on the end of it. If they, that's tempting to them. Um, but but making the reward like a nice surprise rather than oh, yeah. like, if you do this, I'll give you two, two points. It's like, uh, that was brilliant. And because that was brilliant, I'm going to give you two reward points, whatever it is. Yeah. 
Then there's, there's some stuff around belonging, uh, so helping students to see themselves as successful, helping them to see themselves as part of a group, part of a community. Uh, and then there's just accepting that, like, look, it's just change is hard. That's where we yeah. sort of came in, and they're going to need to to uh, we are going to need to do some of these things again and again if it's going to stick. Mm. This is really um, interesting, especially as revision season is approaching. I'm just literally taking this all in because there's certain students I need to use some of these elements for because um, especially my year 11s, they've never had to sit a, you know, public exam in time. So everything that you're saying now is very useful in terms of revision, but it's also making me think, actually, I need to featuring more timed essays. I have done but I need to feature in a bit more because time has been um, an issue. And not even just about time, it's also for their anxiety and just trying to minimise that. Yeah, yeah, and it, this is another one where, like, practice, and it doesn't have to be loads of practice exams, just, like, practice, you know, we're going to do this six-mark question under yeah. time conditions. And I think the more we, we practice things like that, the more students get better at performing. I just always found, like, students would be brilliant like you'd know they could do it because you'd have literally seen set it for homework they'd have done it or they'd have done it in the lesson they get to exam papers and like i didn't answer the last question so it was like but the last question had half the marks of the whole paper Uh, (laughs) and that like i spent so much time thinking about like what what are the things where where are things going wrong like how can we over like help help students override it and yeah one way is, is 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 yeah just practice but also being able to diagnose early and say, yeah. well, actually, you know, yeah. my students who struggle with that say, you have, this is another example of the default, you have to do the last question first. Like, you know, I'll never speak to you again unless you do the last question first. Uh, because I knew that, you know, they, they you know, say, say it's an average answer, they'll pick up eight marks out of 13, fine. Then they'll go and do some of the other things and, and they'll do better than if they not not put pen to paper for that last, yeah. last question. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Harry. And moving on from, you know, students how can we encourage teachers to change because when we as teachers and I'm guilty of doing it as well um we've got our way of doing things and we're used to our way of doing things um but if you know a new idea is brought forth or a new initiative that could help and is evidence-based but it might I guess cost us having to read back resources or cost us having to get out of our own habits uh, how can we encourage staff members to change and ourselves to change as well? Yeah, so so the easy answer is just all the same things, uh, no. sort of you know suitably uh, tempered and and fitted to uh, to student uh, to 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 working with teachers. But it's the same, you know, like adults are no more likely to to change uh if, if they're asked to do loads of different things than than students are so narrowing down like okay i want to be better at questioning what does that mean like, we're going to pause longer after after uh, before nominating a student to respond am i going to frame my question i'm going to think prepare, prepare my follow-up questions i'm picking something mm-hmm. quite narrow and trying to make it a habit um making it it's really interesting that you say like okay you know potentially it's going to be changing everything and making the change as small as possible yeah uh, and well. and and reducing the immediate costs so I'm not saying i'm going to rewrite all the key stage three schemes of work i'm going to rewrite one of them i'm going to rewrite one lesson i'm going to see if it works if it doesn't work it's like 15 minutes work and it hasn't cost me it was not kind of benefit yeah. from it whereas actually if i spend an afternoon rewriting six schemes of work 
and then I'm like, oh, it's not quite right. Uh, well, I'm probably never going to start, am I? But, you know, I'll be disappointed if I do. Again, this thing of committing. So, you know, just tell, you, tell your colleagues, tell the department, like, here's the thing I'm going to try. And then you sort of have to try it because they're going to be like, how did it go? And you don't want to say, I didn't do it. Uh, making first step easy again. And again, like making things stick. The number of times you talk to a teacher, well, oh, here's this idea. And they're like, oh, yeah, I did that for a while. But then I stopped. I'm not really sure why. It's like, well, you know, fundamentally, the reason why is that it never became a habit. Yeah. Uh, and you've got to stick at things for quite a long time, like a matter of weeks, to, to make them make them habits. Yeah, that's point. That's a really good point because if I had stuck to um my intention of, you know, going to the gym and eating healthier, I'd be ten pounds lighter. So it's really important that we don't just do things for like a few weeks or a few months, but to really embed that within us and within our um habits. And even in the classroom, our teaching habits, there's things that I know that, oh, if I didn't like this, but then, because I feel teaching is very reaction, it's a very reactionary job at times. Sometimes there's hardly any time uh-huh. to really think and pause and right. to amend. So it's it's, a, it's it's quite difficult at, yeah, at times, I, I think. Um, thank you, Harry. That is all the questions in terms of <coughs> success. I did have other questions in regards to teaching and learning. I'll probably pick just about two from the list of around your blog because you have a blog, um, which is I've been reading it for a long time now. It's amazing. So if you guys um want to know what his blog is, it is improvingteaching.co.uk. Please do um read that blog if you haven't. And um a recent blog post that you put up was around because I'm a hod, so I found that this really um interesting tips for hods to improve teaching um could you share some aspects in terms of hods improving teaching because i definitely saw myself not wanting to interesting um, yeah in terms of seeing my colleagues sorry Sorry, i just i said that i definitely saw myself in terms of the team the hod that sees their colleagues as colleagues and like equal if that makes sense and not as somebody that can make them um you know, because I'm quite, I'm fairly new as a hod, yeah. so, you know, not being mean, but being very constructive is still a bit difficult for me because I'm a people pleaser So <laughs> at times. So, um, yeah, I found, I found that blog very interesting. So if you can, um, please do, please, please share tips in terms of um, how hods can improve teaching. Yeah, really interesting you say that. And I think that that, that blog hit a, hit a core, I and mean, it's, it's probably one of the, fastest it was only a few weeks ago and it's one of the ones that has been most read most quickly and it's sort of come out i've been really lucky over the last year to spend a lot more time working with heads of department which is something i've never really done i hadn't done for years um and so yeah like everything that i i sort of put in there came out of hods that i was talking to working with and i think you know it's 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 completely understandable that, that you, you see yourself as collegial because that's what like schools are incredibly egalitarian places yeah. and for the moment you stand up and say hey everyone I've got a great solution like everyone's like well you know but I saw how things were going with the year nines the other day so no one's yeah. going to believe you yeah. um, so but three things I think like really seem to to make a difference for for HODs one is that they see their the most important thing that they can do to be improving teaching across the department. And I think that's a really hard transition because you've just spent X years as a teacher and like yeah. live or die or like 
how how much am I doing for my students? Am I doing all right for them? And actually, I think the most effective hods sometimes have to say like, look, my class are going to have to take a back seat. I, I'm going to have to get cover for a lesson, which clearly isn't as good as, as me, the hod, teaching them because I need to spend that time going and supporting the NQT in my department and say, well, like, mm-hmm. okay, in the short term, your class will be moderately worse off but actually, yeah. for the good of the, the, the school as a whole, the improvement that you can make for that NQT and potentially the lasting yeah. impact that has is is going to be going to be bigger. Yeah. The second thing is is then a sense of like sort of mechanisms. Well, okay, I want to improve teaching. How am I going to do it? And I think that's partly picking a habit, a change that's that's worth making for the department. And I think departments are generally the right place to choose that because no technique no strategy works perfectly you know like okay we all do do literacy it's like well actually i teach you know dance or whatever it is and clearly like words matter keywords matter but we're not going to be like whole school literacy priority is not going to make all my all of my kids better dancers i need to pick the thing that's that's really going to work for them and then working out how to how to help uh colleagues do that and i think potentially instructional coaching is a really powerful way so just popping into lessons giving feedback and then the last thing is say well okay you know i'm just busy landing heads of department more things they need to do but actually it's really on senior leaders to make sure heads of department have the time and the headspace so for example if you're saying to hods rewrite your curriculum like when when's the time off timetable yeah you're saying you're you're going to be you need to be coaching your teachers when's the cover or when's the freeze when's the the allocation that's going to allow you to like visit those mm-hmm. lessons, hold me, hold the feedback meetings and so on. And it's, it's really easy to say, do this, do that. But actually, if you, if you want Hods to do it properly, you've got to give them the, the time and the resources to do it. I definitely agree. Because one of my biggest challenges as a Hod is not being able to um, go into more classes. And plus, I'm on a split site, we've got um, a 12 form entry year 17 and 13 oh, wow. split yeah. site um, and it's just really really difficult and as a hod most hods especially in secondary school um, have exam classes so I've got a lot yeah. of you know year um, 11 to year 13 um, so it's really difficult and I feel guilty if I have to set from cover um, yeah. so it, it, it is it's, it's been a challenge but everything that you wrote in that blog I just definitely agree with so it's on my um, but the positive thing I must say about um, having exam classes is when they do leave and let's <laughs> free up a bit more time to go into lessons yeah. but then my question to you is is that a little too late in summer term <sighs> Well, you know, like it's we're most of the way there this year, aren't we? So, uh, so it, it, you got you, you got to use what's given to you, yeah. uh, uh, and and so yeah, in that sense, can, can be can be really powerful. Um, I do doing that while trying to find time elsewhere. I guess one thing that I've seen primarily heads of teaching and learning who I've spent five years sort of running running a program to support them. One thing I saw that they would do really well is. Um, have like the next echelon like there's all there's always say it's got 100 teachers between yeah. five and ten who are really geeky about teaching and learning and who one day will be the next assistant head for teaching and learning and mm-hmm. and so working with them and it might be like there's a tlr payment it might just there's be there's a bit of free time it might just be they want to do it because they're interested and and giving their like forming them into a group who are pioneering piloting stuff helping you to do stuff so in the same way actually if you're head of department like how many teachers are you managing 
so about six yeah six six right so so <laughs> so potentially like there's there's in a group that size there's probably like a, a number two and an aspirant number two and so yeah. you know empowering them to like you know you're over that site can you pop in and do a little drop-in observation i'm not saying overload junior colleagues with 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 work but there's some people who are just crying out for more chances to learn and we yeah. can start developing them you know because you're not gonna be head of department forever and actually if you've yeah. prepared someone to be the next head of department by giving them experience in these tasks you're really doing the department a favor that's such a good um good tip thank you so much harry I'm not going to take too much of your time because it's nine now. Um, but I'm really grateful that you have joined us. So I've learned so much from you. Um, and if you want to get his book, it's Habits of Success. It's available on Amazon. Is it available on any other platforms? Uh, you can buy it on the publisher's website, which is Routledge. Uh, and if you go to your local bookshop, I'm sure they will order it in for you. So, yeah, please go and get the book. It is amazing. And also make sure that you are up to date with Harry's blog. It's improvingteaching.co.uk. Um, and if you haven't, if you're not following Harry, which I'm sure most of you are, it's um, at H Fletcher Wood on um, Twitter. So at H Fletcher Wood on Twitter. Thank you so much, Harry. It's been a delight having you and I'm really, really grateful. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed the chance to talk to you. And uh, yeah, good luck trying some of those things. Let me know how they go, yeah. Will do. Thank you so much. Have a lovely evening. Goodbye. Cool. Cheers, Emily. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. Thank you for listening in. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.